As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me an old friend today, somebody with whom I am so thrilled to reconnect. Her name is Zivar Amrami. She happens to be the wife of the rabbi with whom I studied and practiced in New York when our family lived there. Rabbi Zach, who also bar mitzvahed my son, whose sister trained him for the bar mitzvah. We love you. We miss you. All of you. Um, Zivar, welcome to the podcast, first of all. Thank you. It's nice to be yes. here. Thank you. So good to see you and hear you. Yeah. Um, Zivar is currently working on a deck that I think will take up the first sort of part of our conversation because I think it's very important. It's called The Wisdom of Birth. It is a 78-card oracle deck of guidance and inspiration for the experience of birth, which was born, pun intended, of her experience giving birth to her second who was born during the height of COVID, and she was treated really poorly in the hospital. And you are a white person, and now we can have an idea of how people of color have been treated for many hundreds of years in the medical setting. Quite eye-opening, I would imagine. I would love to hear a little bit about this. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. And This feels like a very important and also very tender conversation. You know, when we talk about birthing children, it's obviously um, such an important moment in the mother's life, in the family's life, but it also signifies the larger question of how we treat the little births, the little deaths in the life cycle. And so for me, it's both the minutia of the birth of the child and also symbolizes how do we treat birth in general and how can we engage with it in a more empowering way. So I actually found out I was pregnant with Ara about five days before we went into quarantine. And so I felt very held by the pregnancy. I was creating life in the midst of all this chaos. We were living in New York City at the time. There was so much going on outside of me that was fear, and rightfully so. And internally, I was creating this life and very focused on nurturing her and creating a very safe, calm space. And so I had intended to give birth at home with midwives. I had two midwives. And Ara decided that she wanted to come much later than expected. She was actually three weeks late, the first at Maimonides to be three weeks late um, ever in their entire history. And wild. Why isn't is that, that wild? so rare? Um, well, I don't because understand. there's a lot of concern for the mother, for the child as you get further along. I think that we are not oh, well educated on how to, right. you know, whenever the baby wants to come. I mean, I was monitored daily after two weeks and my midwives were getting quite concerned 
about the safety of the baby, about my safety. And internally, I actually felt very knowing that she was coming, but I did end up agreeing to be induced at the hospital. And so I had this vision of a home birth with my husband, with our doula, with my daughter Rumi there, and that was all taken away from me. And so I felt a lot of grief. I actually, we had decided on a Tuesday and I said I needed a few days to really be with it before we went to the hospital on Thursday. So we went to the hospital and it was just such a mess. They treated me from the get-go like I was quote unquote crazy, like I did not care for my child, like I was putting my needs first. They couldn't believe that I had waited this long to show up, to give birth to my child, even though I had been monitoring her. And the general feeling was, you do not know what your child needs, we do. And that feeling was so painful after the many years that I've devoted to knowing myself after a very difficult childhood and teenage years and all that to show up and be like, wow, I really am connected to my intuition. I really do know myself. And to be questioned and to be questioned about the safety of my child was very painful and scary. And I had my doula there. I wasn't able to bring my midwives, but I did have my doula and I did have Zach, who you mentioned before, and they were both incredibly supportive. And even with all of that, I felt so disempowered and I felt so um, re-traumatized in a way of being returned to this feeling as a child of not knowing what I know. Right. (laughs) Just put it mildly. The very classic experience that so many of us have had of knowing what we know, being completely attuned, and then being told that we don't. Exactly. And having to reconcile that our whole lives. Um, Ara is healthy and well. I do want to mention something. So I was in the hospital and they had all these... um, you know, uh, monitors attached to me because of how late I was. And so I, they kept wanting to put a mask on me, even though it was just a few of us in the room and and all these things. And I was getting COVID tests uh, quite often. So I finally, I decided to have a natural birth. They didn't want me to have a natural birth. Um, They thought that an epidural would be healthier for the baby. They thought the baby was in distress. It was just a constant uh, having to reassert my boundaries. And then after I gave birth, in the hospital setting, you're not allowed to hold your child to bring her up to the recovery room. So they had Ara in like the baby cart and I was in a wheelchair and they brought us up to the room and, you know, it was eight hours of pushing and I was exhausted and all of the feelings. And I see out of the corner of my eye, one of the nurses giving Ara a shot. And in my exhaustion, in my confusion, and in my feeling of not having felt seen, I was like, what are you doing? I just like, you know, the visceral wild mama came out and she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We're just giving her a shot. And I was like, you cannot do things like that without talking to me. So that passed. And then the next morning, what the hell was that? Is that insane? Gosh. And then the next, I just, my whole body just responded in a really visceral way. Yeah. Mine did too. In that moment, I was like, the lioness came out of me. I'm like, like pushing people away. Give me my child. And the next day, a social worker, and this is really the pinnacle of why I decided to create this deck, a social worker walked in and I had given birth to Rumi in the hospital. So I sort of knew the protocol after you give birth, and but this had not happened. And she came in and she's like, I just want to talk to you about this. I'm like, why are you here? And she's like, well, to be really honest, 
we're concerned about the safety of the baby. And we, and we want to make sure she's safe to bring home because you had an outburst yesterday that made us concerned about your, you know, emotional state going into motherhood. You are kidding right I now. I swear to God. Kidding. And I sat there and I just was, I felt numb, actually. I felt numb. And I was like, you got to suck it up. You got to pretend everything's fine. And, and say all the and right, say all things, the right so things leave you alone. So you can go home with your child. And in that moment, I was like, this is not a safe place to be. Nope. Right? Nope. And so I thought to myself, if I had this experience, a privileged white woman with my husband, with my doula, with the midwife's advice behind me, imagine someone who does not have any of that and is being told, this is how you do it. And they're like, okay, okay. In one of the most important moments in their life. No advocacy. No advocacy. Wow. Yeah. Um, if you're listening to this and you want to learn more about someone who's done great work in this world uh, in this way, her name is Latham Thomas. And I also recorded a podcast episode and it would be very insightful to listen to that. Okay. Next question. Moving right along. <laughs> right along. Sorry, Maimonides. You know what? The feeling that you feel is everyone's doing the very best that they can. There's a lot of um, concern about being sued and lawsuits and all of that. I'm sure. I'm sure. And so those come into question. Um, my mom's a doctor, so I also am close to that world in some ways. And it's a complicated place. It's, I think any center that is devoted to healing and that is dealing with illness and death and birth and all of that is going to be a complex, messy place. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing this out. I wasn't really expecting to talk about this at all with you, and I'm so happy that Ara is well, and uh, I'm grateful for the awareness that you're going to bring to this. Um, let's keep our eyes open February 13th for your Kickstarter. The Kickstarter will be for this uh, Wisdom of Birth deck that I think will help a lot of people understand the importance of this conversation. You are also an artist, and it seems that we have a connection. Are you speaking about Susan Hunt? No. You're the collage artist? No. Who subbed my class? That's somebody Johanna. else. Johanna. Johanna. Okay, cool. She is our collage artist. She lives in Taos. And, Amazing. Yeah. Okay, got it. So she is doing the collage work for Wisdom of Birth. Correct. Tremendous. Yeah, we really wanted, as an artist, the way I service the conversation is through beauty, through, you know, the visuals, through um, imagery. And for me, as an artist, reaching out to others who respond to art, it was an opportunity to say, here's a gorgeous deck that's also full of information that can act as a doula for you. If you have a doula, great, they can use it. If you are alone, you can use it. And also to be able to use these cards, um, the intention was to use them past birth and to return to them and to return to your story of birth and heal whatever needs to be healed and to empower yourself when you have future births or future deaths that you need to work with. Got it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. So your artwork outside of the wisdom of birth prior to and since, um, you've always impressed me. Your work has deep, deep wisdom and soul and it's really the main reason why I wanted to talk to you in the first place on the podcast, because I want more women artists to be seen and heard. You 
host women's circles as well in support of healing and embodiment. And I'd love to hear a little bit about the flesh of your work at Current. Well, my focus on my work is always on being seen and giving others the opportunity to feel witnessed and feel seen because I think when we are seen, we are able to move through the world very differently. And so whether that's my photography, I'm a portrait photographer, or I'm working on a film or in my circles with women and we talk about moon wisdom and we work with ritual and art and altars and all of that, the question is always how can we feel fully seen and through that feeling fully seen, walk with more integrity and alignment and serve with greater purpose. And so we often speak from the wound, right? Like something that has affected us is the thing that we bring forward. And for me, I didn't feel very seen as a child for many reasons. And I know now as an adult that that seeing is the most important. That is the point of healing. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. And your work, are you still creating sort of on a consistent basis? And if so, I would love to hear the arc of your work from when you first started creating and how it's evolved to now. Yeah, it's a long story. <laughs> um, I can start with where I am now or I can start with the arc. Which do you prefer? I think the arc would be good. We have a little bit of time and one of my intentions for today was to make sure that I hear the full story of the artistic and spiritual formation of Zivar. Okay. And then I also want to learn how you and Zach met. Okay, beautiful. Because I don't know that story. That, that's a sweet story. It actually fits into the arc. So where do I begin? I grew up um, in an environment of a lot of um, edges. My father is an Iranian Jew who came to America in the 70s when the Shah fell and Khomeini took over. My mom is Norwegian, grew up in Minnesota. She converted to Judaism before she met my dad. They found each other in Minnesota. And then they found Chabad, like Hasidic Judaism, so more on the Orthodox side. And so I was raised in this very contained environment in this Chabad community, but I was always on the edge of it, whether it was you know, witnessing the celebration of Christmas at my mom's family's house or my father's Iranian family and how different the culture and the traditions were there. And so I was both inside and aware of all the ways in which you could be different. And that really affected me in ways that were not obvious to me as a child, but because have become obvious as I've grown older. Uh, I went to boarding school, which was very difficult for me. There I developed uh, an eating disorder, trying to control and deal with all the pain that I was feeling. And I left boarding school early, went to college uh, at the age of 15 and wanted to achieve and wanted to be seen as successful and smart and all the things that my parents valued. And so I remember taking an art class and it was a painting class, like 101. And I was so excited and so thrilled, but I wanted to be good at art and I wanted to do it right. And the teacher kept saying to me, relax, let yourself be. And I just, I didn't even know what that meant. I was like so confused with what that even meant. And so I didn't really do well. And so I put that off to the side. Fast forward, I was in uh, fundraising and I worked with as a development director for many years, supporting artists, obviously. And one day I was at the end of an engagement. I've actually been engaged twice before Zach and I got married. I let go of an engagement and I was like, what do I really want to do? And so I bought myself a camera 
and I booked a trip to Peru. And I went to Peru and I just took my camera and I became really uh, engaged with street photography. And the feedback was very strong. And it was like, this is something you should do. This is something you're meant for. And so I continued with it and I've done portrait and, um, you know, I'm easing away from using the camera as a medium because I do feel like it was the tool for me to connect to people and to really understand their stories, but I no longer feel like I need it as much. And so I work one-on-one with people. We do ritual and ceremony and we engage with that question of integrity of what it means to be seen, how to be in alignment with beauty and with our right place in the world. That does not mean that I'm not creating art and working with different mediums. Right now, I'm very drawn to painting. And so I've been quietly painting. And I've also, given the social media world, I've been asking myself a lot about how much of art needs to be seen by others. How do I keep it close as an intimate, beloved relationship for myself? And the balance of that, right? Like, how do I be with both? So right now, that's like the one part of it. And the other part is that I have a seven-year-old and I have an almost two-year-old. And someone asked me at Thanksgiving, how are you? And I was like, I feel like for the first time in eight or so years, I'm thinking about me outside of a mother, outside of the wife. And that is a new question. And how to be with that as I raise my daughters and respond to their needs, which are many, is where I am. And I don't have an answer, but I'm in the question of how do I um, honor this yearning and this desire to create and to nurture my world while being a good mom to my children. Mm. So much beauty. I am so happy to hear all of this. And that does become the most important question. I'm going to gift you my parenting course. I think you'll really appreciate it. It's all audio. But it does become the question as you're younger one gets to be the age of Rumi, your older one, you can start to kind of peel away in a really true way and become who you're becoming outside of them. Yeah. You know, it's so cool. I only had one, so I don't know what it's like to have the second one coming up. But right when Jonah was about, I don't know, nine or 10, I started to peel away just a little bit but it was so hard. And then, you know, by the time they get to be 12, 13, it's like, no, I can put myself to bed. Right. <laughs> After many, many years of sleeping in the same bed and snuggling just was so delicious for so long. But it's nice to look forward to that. It's nice to have a glimpse of that now. I'm clapping my hands for you because it's really important. A lot of parents don't have that. And then they get very, very sad when the kid naturally individuates yeah you know around 12 or 13 and that won't happen to you because you're here sort of prepped and asking thank you element for sponsoring the practice you podcast we have been personally using element for well over a year element is spelled l-m-n-t elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house every night before bed James and I split a packet, helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. 
They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link, drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I remember when I worked in development and I would sit at lunch with some of the wealthiest people I've ever met. And I was young. I was in my mid twenties and there was this energy of like grandfather or grandmother toward me. And they loved being in that archetypal relationship with me. And they would often say, my greatest regret is not spending more time with my children. And you have these people who have everything. And so it really, it stayed with me. And so I'm aware of this yearning. I'm aware of this percolating internally for me. And I'm also not unaware of my children and the responsibility I have towards them in this moment. Right, 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 right. Yeah. It's a really good way to hold the conflict and the priorities. Very good. It's not always easy. No, it's not. No. It's not always easy. No. Um, how did you meet Zach? I don't <laughs> This is gonna. This is a fun story. Um, so I actually have memories of him mentioning you when we were first dating, like doing the late Shabbat evening um, ceremony at your partner's house at the time. I remember him saying, "Right, right? oh my God, Havdala. that was when we first met." This is well. This I have a longer story, but yes, that's when we first started dating. Oh yeah. Oh, that's so sweet. I have pictures of that day, like it was yesterday. I had a bunch of kids over. And Zach came over and taught the kids, and then we did some Shabbat ceremonious respect, and it was beautiful. I remember it like it was yesterday. I love it. Um, so Zach yeah. and I, that trip that I mentioned going to Peru, it was in the fall that I went. I went right after the high holidays, and I needed a gig before I left to you know, raise money for my trip. And a dear friend of mine, Amichai Lalavi, who you may know, said to me, Hey, do you want to like organize and produce my high holidays at city winery? I'll pay you and you get some money for your trip. I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I came to the holidays and Zach happened to be playing the oud and the guitar at the ceremony. And it was Yom Kippur and he came over to me and he's like, hi, I'm Zach in his very joyful Zach way. <laughs> As he does. Had he played already? Had you watched no, him play yet? No, it was, like, it was like rehearsal. And I was like, hi. You know, I didn't, I was just like, hello. Okay, great. Nice to meet you. I had some other friends there that I was focused on. And during the Yom Kippur service, like the beginning, the like the opening service, he started hiccuping. And he was hiccuping so much that they had to take away the microphone from him because it was just like so disruptive. And a few days later, I got an email from him and he's like, Hey, you know, Amichai said I should get in touch with you. Do you want to get a coffee? And I was like, no, dude, I'm on my way to Peru. Like I just finished a relationship. I'm taking some me time. So fast forward, um, 
Did you actually write yes, that? Yes. I actually have the email where, oh, man. <laughs> where I said, not interested. And the truth is, Elena, that I wasn't healed enough to see the gift of Zach. I saw someone who was just like a nice guy. I didn't see how nurturing it would be to be with someone who came from a healthy home, who was joyful and supportive and grounded in all the ways in which I needed. At the time, I was running from myself. And so to be seen by him didn't feel, it was just not where I wanted to be. It wasn't attractive. So fast forward, I was engaged again to somebody else and it wasn't going well. Um, It wasn't feeling correct for me. We had been living upstate and I went to the city to go get something on the Upper West Side. And I'm walking down uh, Broadway, it was like 104th, and this guy like bursts out of a bookstore (laughs) and he has a guitar on one side of him and he has earrings and he has a scarf on and he looks so beautiful and radiant. And I'm like, Zach? And he's like, oh my God, Zivar, how are you? And I was like feeling so uh, depleted and low Mm. in my relationship. Mm. My partner was like really going through a depressive state and I could feel my heart like reaching, like that's what I need. But it wasn't that's what I need in a partner. It was that's what I want for me to feel. And I want to feel that vitality. Right, right. So a few months later, I broke up with my... uh, fiance. And, um, a few weeks later, I just felt this call to go to my friend's service, a David at Roman It's all like very Jewish. And, uh, Zach was playing and I saw him and we saw each other and we just slowly started our courtship. And he's like, I've been waiting for you for this many years. I knew we were going to get married. I knew all of that. And I, I'm just so happy that you arrived. Wow. Yeah. Aww. Isn't that beautiful? It's beyond. And then you hadn't even seen him play at that very beginning moments. That's so sweet. If you um, don't mind, can you just tell our listener where to find Zach's music and services online? I think that's an important part of this, yes. actually. Yes. Zach is Zach Fredman. Uh, his band is called the Epichorus, E-P-I-C-H-O-R-U-S. And you can find them at temenos, T-E-M-E-N-O-S, N-Y-C.com. And he's so prolific in terms of his projects, in terms of his creations, and you can receive so much from him there. Mm, yeah, Thank you. If you don't mind, Zivar, can you also send me um, those links via email so that I can ensure they get in the show notes? I can, yeah. That would be amazing. Yeah. Um, what else do I want to know? Tell me now what your art practice is. Uh, honestly, I wish it was, you know, I wake up, I do my art. It's so perfect. It's not like that at all. It's, no, you have kids. It's kids. It's carving out time. You know what? There's this really beautiful teaching in the tradition, in the Hasidic tradition. It's one of my favorite teachings of all time. In the Shema, which is a very seminal, very important prayer in the tradition, it's Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And in the text below it, it says that I will say these words and they will rest on my heart. And so all the commentators go crazy and they're like, what does that mean on your heart? Why doesn't it say in your heart? And there's many explanations, but the one that stuck with me is from the Kutzker Rebbe. He was a Rebbe uh, in the 18th century. 
He was known to be manic depressive. He had a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. He became agoraphobic, didn't leave his house for the last 20 years of his life, had his students feed food through his this like window. And he said that the reason it says on your heart instead of in your heart is because our hearts cannot be open all the time. We live in a world with a lot of suffering and a lot of pain. And so we allow all of this wisdom and all of this beauty to rest on our heart so that when our heart opens, the floodgates just go. I'm sitting here almost crying thinking about that prayer. But every time it's said in a group setting, I just start weeping. Yeah. Every single time. And that's been true since I was a little person. Like, I feel that thing. I feel those words. What do you think about it? My mother, too. Oh, I just, just the the sort of fullness of, I don't know, I picture the inscription on the house, on the gates, in the translation of a part of that. I picture then that words get inscribed on, literally on our chests, not like a tattoo, but like as a way to indicate our commitment. This is, you know, all coming very sort of intuitively. I have felt this since I was a little girl, really small. Like I can see my little feet, my little shoes, my little patent leather shoes with one strap going across, <laughs> and my little tights bursting through. I love that. Yeah. There's something about something that's been spoken for so many centuries, like the mantra, the energy of those words, of that sound that people have spoken in moments of like true despair, you yeah. know? That's right. And so when I think of Alevavcha, it's like, you know, I think toward you too and all the work. I know you talk a lot about your healing, the relationship with your mom, and it's really inspired me in my relationship with my family and my mother and how this will affect my children and the way they see me and the way that we relate to each other. And so I don't feel like I have the space that I would wish to have for my art and for my creativity but I also know that I am correctly where I am meant to be. And I'm in the alignment of the healing that needed to be done for me to bring forth whatever else wants to come forth. And I'm in this place of just letting things rest on my heart. And when I have a moment to like, let it in and show up and make something beautiful. But I also feel like I'm very close to a new beginning and it required me to be slower with myself over the last few years, which was new for me. And so there's a patience that I'm feeling. There's an anticipation. And there's also a deep faith because however difficult, and we've talked about this privately, like however difficult the Orthodox Judaism in terms of the way that the women are sidelined or whatever, it did instill in me a deep faith and prayerfulness of like, there is something outside of me. There is a rhythm. There is a reason. And Not everything is for right now. (sighs) Knowing as much as I know about the Orthodox faith and how women are um, seen and treated, I have lots of opinions and questions, but I'm going to save them for another conversation. I have a lot of respect also for however anyone wishes to do their spiritual life and, you know, that is a very strong choice. And of course, how it's portrayed in the media has never been quite so favorable. So it's, it's a very sticky, edgy situation 
but someday I would like to talk to you about this more. Well, I will say one thing, and I agree with you. It's not black and white. It's not so simple. But I do think that we often project onto our religion or our faith what we truly value internally. And so while there are certain you know, laws and rules about how men and women interact, about how women embody all of that and how men embody, there is space that is subtle for how you can project your own values onto whatever practice that you choose. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So in our home, maybe being a woman was very different than being a woman next door because just of the internal values of the people that were projecting the religion onto the family. Right. Yeah. Right. I got it. You know, it's not unlike what you learn in school versus what you learned at home. Totally. (laughs) You know. Totally. And I think one of the things that is really beautiful and something I want to pass on to my girls, I read a study years ago. It was at Columbia University. It was a social study that tracked children who had a sense of tradition and those who felt a sense of knowing where they came from, even if it wasn't true. So they sometimes had stories that weren't true, but they were like, this is your you know, ancestors, blah, blah, blah. The children's immunity was 30% higher than those who had no story in adulthood. And for me, when I think about my daughters and I think about what I want to pass on, this sense of tradition allows us to feel a sense of location, that I belong. And to belong is a very big deal. And so while there's all these complications with orthodoxy and Judaism and whatever, I feel so much gratitude because at the end of the day, even when I feel like I don't belong, I know I belong. Mm. I have the same sense, actually. And I was just sitting here getting slightly twisted inside that, oh, no, I haven't done that for my kid. And then I remembered, oh, yes, we did that. We did do that. And he does have a sense of belonging to that. Yeah. And it's available to him, which is the most important thing. Like, oh, you want to learn more about it? Great. Like, you know, we'll find a way to, to make that available to you. I think that's such an important aspect of parenting that I'm just dipping my toes into because Rumi seven is like to follow their inklings and their curiosities, you know, while giving them the space. I remember, um, the first time we met, at High Holidays, and you sort of burst into the teacher's lounge where the people who were part of the service were coming. And you were so beautiful and radiant, but also childlike because you had your parents there. And you were like, I'm bringing my parents to High Holidays. And so it feels really lovely to know you from that side as like the child, like honoring your parents and this tradition, and also like the elder, like guiding us in the way that you so beautifully guide So it's a fun knowing on both sides. So sweet. I remember seeing my mom in the audience. She was bursting, so proud. She actually was sitting next to me and she took my hand and she squeezed it really hard. No way. I was like, cool. Like, I like you too. Like, I'm I'm like into that. I'm like into when people reach out to me in that way. Um, Oh, God. I never knew that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. God, that's so good. It's so good. And I really, I do just want to offer so much gratitude to you, Elena, because I remember you, I don't know if it was on a podcast or a live, but you were talking about your relationship with your mom and healing the relationships with our parents. And I really, in a way that is actually in full integrity and transparency, so not me hiding, but really me being my full self with my mother, 
we've done so much work and I know that it's going to support my daughters. For sure. For sure. You keep that line open. You know, obviously, if you're listening to us and you have a parent who's mentally ill, this is another conversation entirely with all due respect. But, you know, if there is some way to communicate with someone who is even remotely willing to do that work of cleaning it up and being ourselves and asking for what we need with our parents as they age. Oh my God, it's just, it's one of the greatest blessings and possibilities of this life. And just when you think you don't have it, I was just speaking to a very dear friend of mine, a business partner of mine, and she was saying that she had thought, oh, years, you know, she would never have what she wished to have with her mother. And and sure enough, in a health situation for the mother arose and they're healing their relationship. Anything is possible. There's this really beautiful Quaker saying, uh, ways open, you know, ways open. That's gorgeous. Ways open. Ways open. When they need to, they'll open. Girl. That's going to be a painting title for sure. Ways open. You have to make one called Ways Open, too, and then we have to compare them. <laughs> I love that Make idea. them live together. I love that idea. Please. Yes. Yeah, okay. Let's, yeah, I think let's about you with your painting practice when you were going through your sobriety and how painting or any art form can really be a companion when we're um, it, yes, unraveling yes. and changing. And, yeah. and then it can be just for us. So much of life is how is this going to you know, be commercialized, be shared, but it's how can this be just with me and my beloved, you know? That's exactly right. Um, I can't thank you enough. I could talk to you all day, but I know we're on a bit of a time frame. Um, I want to thank you for being here. Thank you for bringing out all these beautiful threads of conversation. Um, thanks for holding the space while Zach holds the space pretty sure that's a pretty big job, you know, being the wife of the rabbi. It's a very um, interesting place to be, but I am grateful to be able to be in this place. It feels like we are being of service in the way that is, um, the way that we're meant to serve. And in that way, mm. it's just such a gift. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Um, how can our listener find you, Sivar? You can find me on Instagram. I'm actually working on a new website, um, so that will happen soon. But Instagram is where all the action happens. <laughs> it's just my name. It's Sivar Amrami, and uh, you can reach out. We have virtual and in-person women's circles where we really engage with questions of integrity, of how to be the most honest and the most um, loving towards ourselves. And I also work one-on-one -on -one with people and we implore all manner of things. We do photography, we do ritual. It's just really fun to move from this place. The One of the things that I grew up with is a sense that there is a right and correct way for everyone. And what I'm learning and what I'm enjoying in my 40s is that is not true and that everyone has their own way. And so the fun part, the play that I bring to my work is that each experience is different. Someone just wants to talk beautiful. Someone wants to bring ritual and ceremony, also good. If you want to do portrait, even better. And so find me there and we can play. 
I love to play. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today, Zibar. Thank you, Elena. It was really lovely to chat. Yeah. Give my love to Zach, too, okay? I will. I will. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health, arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and 5 free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.